Oh Lord, our Father, we are so grateful that because of who you are, because Jesus came and died for us and rose again, because your spirit lives within us, because you are sovereign over the universe and you are sovereign over our lives, we can truly say it is well. It's well with our soul. We don't always understand. We don't always know what's coming. But we can trust you that you do. And you not only hold the world in your hands, you hold us in your hands. We are safe in your love, in your care. And we worship you. We pray now that as we open your word, you would give us the ability to hear not not only with our minds, but also with our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are thankful that our electricity is back on. It was off for the weekend here. Thankful for your um, flexibility with our paving on this south parking lot, and we uh, expect it to be done quickly, but it's possible we'll have another Sunday or so with uh, the parking lot still um, under construction. So uh, for everyone, if you can graciously allow this section right behind the sanctuary here to be safe for our elderly and for handicapped, it allows them to come in the closest possible way through the back here, and the rest of us can take a little bit longer walk. Thank you so much for your flexibility this morning. This morning we're in Hebrews chapter 10, again, looking at the practical application of the truth of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, then how should we live? I don't know if any of you have gotten yourselves in a situation where your fingers get sticky with touch something you've touched and you just can't get that stickiness off. Sometimes I think it's fun when we watch little children, they get themselves into something. They don't mind getting them, their fingers into paint or something, but if it's sticky, they, 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 they start trying to let go. Once in a while, I've used super glue and made the mistake of touching fingers. Have you ever done that? And it gets really, really uncomfortable really fast. We don't like to be sticky. But the scriptures tell us that we need to be sticky Christians. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19, where we were last week. We're going to be focusing on verses 24 and 25, but beginning with verse 19, because this section really holds together. Therefore, brothers, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, being king of the universe, being the creator, dying for our sins, our high priest, representing us before the Father, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, all of that is a summary of the first ten chapters. Now the application. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The second admonition, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And then the third one, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Three admonitions. Because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, as we begin the practical application, the rest of the book of Hebrews is practical application as a result of who Jesus is and what he's done, three admonitions. The first one, let us draw near. The second one, let us confess our assurance of the hope that God has given us. The third one, let us consider. Now you say, well, actually, it doesn't say let us consider. It says let us consider how to stir one another up. It actually, in the original language, says let us consider one another to stir each other up to love and good deeds. Let us consider one another. That's how the original language is written. So let us consider one another. These three admonitions sort of develop a picture for us. I think of it this way, the diagram you see on the, on the screen. When we, have, when we first of all draw near, we're drawing near to God, and we're drawing near in our faith. We're, we're told to draw near with this commitment, this assurance of our faith. So we're drawing near to God. That's a vertical relationship. The, the second one is really horizontal. We let us be confident of our confession of hope. And remember, we said confession is speaking. We tell people about our hope. We tell one another about our hope. We tell others about our hope. That is horizontal. We're, we're talking to people. And then the third one, verse 24, let us consider one another, if you read it in the original language, let us consider one another is down in the body of Christ. It's sort of like our, our root system. Let us consider one another. And that's why he goes on to say, don't stop meeting together as is the habit of some. We need to be sticky Christians. We need to stick together. I don't know if you've ever traveled with your children, maybe through an airport or something, and one of the things we say to the kids is, let's stick together. Why? Because it's dangerous if you don't stick together when you're going through a place like that. As we see the day approaching, as we see the end of the age coming, when Jesus will return in judgment and to rescue us, it is really important that we stick together, that we're sticky Christians. I, I think of it in the, in the sense of a redwood. I don't know how many of you have been to California and gone through the redwoods these amazing, amazing trees, they can grow 275 feet high. Their branches extend way out. But do you know how deep their root system is? Five to six feet. How does a tree grow that enormous and go that high with only five to six feet of depth of roots? You know how? Redwoods never grow totally alone. They start alone, but they grow in a grove of redwoods. And as they put their roots down, and they don't go very deep, but they reach out and they intertwine with other redwood trees' roots. They grab onto each other. Over the years, 
because they can live hundreds, even thousands of years. Over the years, those roots will actually fuse together. So even though the tree begins as an individual tree, and its roots don't go super deep, its roots grab onto other trees around it, and they grow together, and together they can reach those kind of heights. That's the picture that God gives of the church. Our faith is reaching up to God. We're trusting in Him. We're trusting in Jesus as our high priest. Our confession of hope is spreading out. We're telling people about Jesus. It's like the boughs of that tree, the redwood trees. But our roots are reaching out for one another and interlocking together and actually need to fuse together like a redwood grove of trees. That allows us to keep growing taller and taller and taller. When we're told in verse 24, let us consider one another, it's the same word that was used one other place in Hebrews, and it might be surprising. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Focus your attention on Jesus. Now in chapter 10, let us therefore consider one another. Focus on one another. Pay attention to one another. Consider how you can stir each other up to godliness and good deeds. A recent study by Pew Research done just recently found that of people who claim to be evangelical Christians in the United States, 58 percent regularly go to church. That means at least once a week. 30 percent Evangelical Christians go once in a while, maybe once a month, at least a few times in a year. 12% said they are evangelical believers, but they seldom or never go to church. Now, what do we do with this passage? Let us consider one another, not ourselves. Let us consider one another. We have to ask ourselves, why did these original receivers of this letter, the people, these Hebrews that this letter was written to, why did they stop going to fellowship? Why did they stop meeting each other? At least some of them did, because the writer says, the Holy Spirit says, as is the case of some of you. We don't really know for sure. There could be multiple reasons. The first generation of believers has begun to die. This, is, this letter was written in about 68 A.D. So the first believers have begun to pass away, and so we've got a second generation of believers, and maybe they just didn't feel it was quite, quite as necessary to get together. There was an increase in persecution. We see that a little bit later in verse 32 of chapter 10. They have begun to experience some persecution. We know from study of the Roman Empire that the, the government in Rome itself was 
not very healthy, to say the least. Shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, the, the emperor who came to power in Rome was named Caligula. Caligula was most likely insane. He lived an extravagant life, a very, very hedonistic life. I mean, if, if you studied the life of Caligula, you would be shocked. There probably is no ruler in the world today as hedonistic as he was. It went from him to a man named Claudius who became emperor, and he did some good things administratively. He invaded Britain, but he began to kill off a lot of the senators in Rome because the senators had finally overthrown Caligula and had him assassinated. So Claudius began to kill the senators off. And then we have the next, uh, the next emperor who was probably still ruling when Hebrews was written. You would all know his name, Nero. Nero was, he, he has become a typical example of what a ruler should never be for all of us. He was tyrannical, extremely self-indulgent, extremely evil. Very likely, he started the fire that burned much of Rome down. He blamed the Christians. He rounded up Christians and burned them alive in his garden as torches while he ate dinner. So were some of the Christians afraid to be identified as Christians? Maybe. And maybe they were afraid to have that name given to them. But it's interesting that one of the early church fathers, when he wrote about the early Christians in the second and third generation who were no longer meeting together, he said it wasn't due to persecution. He said the primary reason that the Christians were starting to meet together less often was because they were focused on business opportunities and they couldn't afford the time to get together as Christians. That sounds a little bit like our society, doesn't it? We, we, we've got things to do. We, we've got to stay busy. We, we can't just take all this time off. There's another possible reason that they stopped meeting together. In verse 25, when it says, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, the little word meet together is, in the original language, is a word that comes from our word synagogue, where they gathered together, the Jewish believers gathered together, and this is written to Hebrews, right? It's mostly Hebrew believers. So the word meet together is synagogue, but it's got a prefix in front of synagogue, which means other people have been added. I wonder if it's possible that these Jewish believers were stopping gathering together so often because people who weren't Jews but now had believed in Jesus started meeting with them, and they didn't feel comfortable anymore. And how many Christians today are happy to meet in a fellowship of believers where everyone is sort of the same economic strata and the same skin color and the same cultural background, but if people start coming who are from a different economic background or a different skin color, they just feel uncomfortable. We wouldn't say that, but we show it by our actions. Sometimes we sort of stop going. I wonder if that's maybe one of the reasons that some of these early Jewish believers had stopped meeting together. Why do Christians today find it 
easy to say, I really don't need to be in church. I really don't need to be with other Christians. Sometimes it's like that early church father said, we're just busy. We may be busy with our businesses. We may be busy with family events. We may be busy with weekend sporting events. Maybe we're just tired. We've had a very hard week of work. Post-COVID, one of the things that can be a challenge is it's easier to stay at home sometimes and drink a cup of coffee and have our breakfast while we watch the streaming. Now, there are some people who need to see streaming. They can't get out of their homes, and there, there are valid reasons for it. We continue to stream. Right now, we're streaming this service. But some of us who could be together choose not to be. And we need to ask ourselves, are we following God's Word? There might be a fear of identifying as a Christian. We, we tend to say, you know, Christians are no longer the most popular part of society, and so we don't want to be seen like that. Our society talks about individualism, and we, always, we tend to individualize our relationship with God. It's my walk with God. It's, it's between me and God. That's what my faith is. When actually the scriptures say it's far more than that. It's between you and God and then you and people you're talking to and then you and the body of Christ. And it can't be just you and God. That's simply not a biblical view. To be honest, there are some Christians, and I have talked to quite a few of them, who say, I'm just disillusioned with church. We use the phrase these days, church hurt. Maybe somebody at church or a group of people at church were really critical, and so we feel like, I don't want to be with people. You know, church people, Christians, shouldn't be critical like that, so I'm not going to go. And, but actually, when we stop going, aren't we being critical of everyone else? We can feel church hurt and say, you know, there are ungodly people in church. There are a bunch of hypocrites in church, and I, I, I'm not going to be like that. But is it godly not to be there when Scripture specifically says, do not stop meeting together? You see, we need to be sticky Christians. Like redwood trees, in order for our faith to grow tall, in order for our testimony to go wide, we need to have roots that interconnect with other believers. That's what the Word of God tells us, regardless of what we think. It's not just a problem that the real early church had and maybe today's church has. It's been a problem throughout the history of Christianity. John Calvin said this, individuals would rather make churches for themselves if they could, for they find it so difficult to accommodate themselves to the ways and habits of others. So there during the Reformation, John Calvin found that lots of Christians would rather just start their own little church somewhere because I can do it my way. I, I have a hard time adjusting to other people. It continues to be a challenge. Churches divide over the kind of music that is used in the church. They, they divide over the kind of seats that are in the church. They divide over the kind of clothing that is worn to church. We divide over all. We have a hard time adjusting to other people. And yet, Scripture says, don't stop meeting together. You need each other. Let us, consider, let us, first of all, draw near to God. Let us hold on to that confession of our faith to other people, and let us consider one another. Why should we attend church then? 
Why does Scripture say it's so important? Well, first of all, church is Jesus' project. It's Jesus' work. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. Building the church is what Jesus is all about. And when we say, you know, I can be a follower of Jesus, I'm just not going to be a part of church, what we're saying is you've you got a bad plan. You've got a bad idea, Jesus. You said you're going to build your church, and you've spent 2,000 years doing it, but I'm not going to be a part of that. Is Jesus Lord? This is what Jesus is all about. This is what he's committed to. Why should we go to church? We, we go to church, obviously, to worship. Psalm 100, Psalm 150, we, we go, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We worship together, and we can say, well, I could worship alone. I can worship in my house all by myself. Yes, we can, but look at all the images of worship in heaven. It's with thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians together. That's God's plan. Yes, we can worship individually, but he calls us to worship together. Thirdly, we need each other. Like the roots of a redwood that need each other in order to hold that huge tree up, we come to, together to build one another up, to pour into one another's, one another's lives, to help each other grow. And when we stop meeting or gathering with our Christian family, we expose ourselves to danger. Those huge redwood trees, if they were not in a grove of redwoods, when the winds come in off of the ocean, when the earth begins to shake with an earthquake, they would come toppling down. There's no way those roots of an individual tree going five or six feet deep could hold it up. But when they're together, they stand firm. Just like you take a, a log out of a fire, it will go out. When a Christian stops fellowshipping with other believers, they grow cold. And many Christians have stopped growing up in their faith. They've stopped going out in their faith because they've stopped growing together in their faith. We need all of three of those together. So what does the Holy Spirit call the Christians to do? He says, let's consider one another to stir up love and good works. So we're supposed to stir the pot in the church, right? Not in a negative way, but in a constructive way. Not a destructive way, but a constructive way. We are supposed to stir each other up. You know, when you're cooking soup or chili or a stew, you put all those different things in it, and you start to cook it over the fire, you got to keep stirring it. If you don't, if you let things settle to the bottom, the flavor doesn't mix in with everything, which is what we want it to do, and the stuff that's stuck on the bottom starts to stick together, and it gets gloppy, and it gets burnt, and it's of no value. We need to keep stirring each other. We need to keep helping each other grow. The purpose of stirring the church pot is to stimulate love. That's what the Holy Spirit says. 
To stir one another up to love and good works is the outcome of love. It's the result of love. When we love, we do things. God's love is always active, and the word for love here is agape. It's God's kind of love. So God's kind of love always acts. In, in order for love to act, it has to have somebody to act towards. It has to have a, somebody to receive that love. We need to be in community. It's the only way we can grow and do what God calls us to do. We stimulate one another to love. That means we spend time together. Yes, we come together on a Sunday morning and we worship in a room like this, but we need to go into grow groups. Brothers and sisters, I have seen a lot of believers who come on Sunday morning, and they can come for years, but if they don't get involved in a grow group or a go group, a smaller group in a home, eventually they grow cold. We need to be involved in one another's lives. We need to eat some meals together. We need to take each other out for meals after church or inviting each other to our homes. We need to serve together. Maybe doing barbecues in our neighborhoods for just getting to know people or, or reaching out to an elderly person that lives near us and we do it together as, as friends and as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need, we need to stimulate one another to love and to the good works that follow out of love. And then in verse 25, he says, we need to get together because we need to encourage one another. And especially as we see the day approaching, as the world becomes more and more turbulent and the day of Jesus' return, both to judge and to rescue, comes, we need to care for each other in depth. And we, that means we need to know each other well. Our church does an amazing job of helping people when somebody is sick. We, we are amazing in, in taking food to people's homes. I've been the recipient of that. Many of you in this room have been the recipient of that. We have, that's, that's an area that we have really excelled in. There are people who need to move from one apartment to another or a house to another, and we need to be ready to help them do that. Some families have, have children and just need, the husband and wife need a break, and we, we could offer to take care of their kids for an evening so that they could have a date together. There's so many ways that we could help each other. Encouraging each, each other draws people to us, but when we become critical of each other, it pushes people away. The Scriptures say you need to stir up love. Good works will follow. And you need to encourage one another, which will draw people together. Can I just caution us as we're called to stir the pot in the church in a healthy way? None of us are designated stirrers. We all need to be willing to be stirred as well, right? And that's sometimes hard. We see what somebody else could be doing, and we love to encourage them, to, but when somebody comes to us and says, you know, would you volunteer? Would you help with, we, this, this is my, don't, don't get involved in my life. None of us are the designated stirrers. We need to be willing to be stirred. Our tendency in, in America as a whole can be towards to be separate rather than to congregate together. But that is a ploy of the devil. 
Because the devil knows if he can get us separated and we just don't need each other and I'm going to go to a different church each week or I'm going I'm to stay home, I don't need each other, he knows that without that strength underneath, we will not reach up in strong, strong faith towards the Lord and our outreach, sharing the confession of our hope, will stagnate. The devil knows if he can stop us here, he can stop us up there and he can stop us out there. Romans chapter 15 verse 7 says this as Paul gets to the end of that amazing treatise about salvation. Practical application, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? It's for the glory of God. I wonder if each of us could make a commitment. Every single Sunday when I'm in church, I'm going to welcome somebody that I don't know. I'm going to find one person that I don't know yet and go up to them and get to know them and welcome them. That's what we're called to do for the glory of God. Because when we come together, the the purpose of coming together is not so that we can get fed. The purpose of coming together is not so that we can have a satisfying worship experience. The purpose of coming together is to worship God so that He will be satisfied, not us. The the purpose of coming together is so that we can be fed, but so that we can feed others as well. Our purpose of gathering together is to consider one another, not consider ourselves. So who could you encourage today? I can promise you as you walk out of this room in just a few minutes, you will walk among or past multiple people who need encouragement. Could we become a church that is an encouraging church, welcoming each other and stirring one another up to love, encouraging one another? When we stir each other up to to love and good deeds, one of the best ways to do it is instead of saying, you know, I think you should, or I've noticed that you don't, we can say, why don't you come with me? I've been volunteering in the children's ministry. Why don't you come and help? I'd love to work with you. Why don't you come with me to work with the refugees? We've got a picnic, and and we're going to just love on those refugees that have come into our country. Why don't you come with me today after church? Why don't you, if we invite people, why don't you come with me to the Bible study? Why don't you come to me, with me to the prayer meeting? That's stirring each other up in a healthy, positive way. You see, stickiness is critical for growth in Christ. We need to be sticky Christians. Chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 24, consider one another. They grow together. So the picture that these three let us give us, verses 22, 23, 24, let us grow in that faith by drawing near to God, vertical. Let us Hold strong to the confession of our faith, horizontal, telling people about Jesus. And let us consider one another. That's the body of Christ. And when we do that, like redwood trees, individual trees, 
that could never reach those heights on their own, intertwining their roots together, reach heights that they could never reach on their own. Let's be sticky Christians. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your amazing love for us. We're so grateful that you've put us in a family. You haven't called us to yourself and then left us alone. And Father, sometimes we confess it's not easy to live in this family you've given us. We didn't choose the family you did. But our brothers and sisters didn't choose us either. And part of the challenge of living together in community is not just each other, it's us. But you have told us that as we draw near to you in our faith and we reach out to others in the confession of our hope, we need to stick together by considering one another how to stir each other up to love and good works and to encourage one another. So Lord, in a society and in a time when everything seems to pull us apart, by your spirit will you pull us together and help us to stick together for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.